Hello and welcome to Mikey Pod Podcast, episode 295 for August 3rd, 2020. Today's guest is poet Donald Vincent, also known as Mr. Hip. You've heard him on the show a couple times before. He was in my live stream show a couple months ago. Yay. I just love Mr. Donald Vincent, um, and I know you will too. He's got a new book of poetry out, and we're going to be talking about that by the way, I am your host, Michael Heron. I'm a composer, pianist, electronic musician, storyteller, and activist based in New York City. On this podcast, I have conversations with fellow creators who use their creativity to change the world. I've been sending this podcast to your ears for 15 years. It was 15 years last month. I think I'll stop saying that soon, but 15 years, come on, that's a long time to be doing a podcast. If you like what you hear, subscribe using the colorful buttons on the sidebar and footer at MikeyPod.com, or just search MikeyPod in your favorite podcast directory. If you'd like to know more about me and my work, you can stop by my website at MichaelHeron.com, hit me up on social media everywhere as at MichaelHeron, or you can email me, MikeyPod at gmail.com. Hey, welcome to the show. We just did a show last week and... Now, well, some stuff has happened since then. I'm not really. <laughs> Everything's been behind the scenes uh, as far as my work goes. I've been working on Final Cut Pro. I'm working on putting a video up. It's going to go up on YouTube probably in the next couple of days. There's a remix I'm working on for Luke Curtis, which I need to get going on. Luke Curtis um, is a, a, a collaborator of mine. We make zines and books together um, and performances too. He's collaborated on my performances before. Anyway, um, all of that is to say, I don't have a ton to say today um, about checking in or whatnot. It's quarantine land. Yeah, let's go right to the interview. But before we do, um, Mr. Hip is also a um, hip hop artist, and I'm going to play some of his music. Hey, I have a question. Wait, okay, well, hold on. Let's back it up. I got two things to say. <laughs> One is, what do you think about me playing music on the show? Like if it's a musician, like last week's Molly Joyce, P.S. Molly, jo I got a lot of sidebars. <laughs> the sidebars are piling up. Um, Molly Joyce was written up in the New York Times this week. Um, you should go check that out. And if you didn't listen to last week's episode, you should listen to that too. Okay, like the sidebars are like, I feel like I'm getting dug into sidebars. I have yet another sidebar though. Um, I'm learning my mic technique with this mic and I feel like I'm getting a lot of plosives and I'm not doing a good job of missing that, so I apologize for those. So let me backtrack to my <laughs> sidebars. We got plosives, covered that. Molly Joyce, New York Times, amazing. Last week's episode was so good. Um, I lost all my other sidebars. Oh, no, um, uh, what's the name of the Discord. If you're a patron, uh, I started a, a Discord um, server. I'm still learning about Discord, but maybe if you're listening to this and you're a patron and you really like Discord, you if you connect your Patreon account to your Discord account, you'll automatically get an invitation to my server, and it's um uh, and you get like whatever things. So <laughs> I think it'd be really cool to get a community going there. So patrons who love Discord, get in there. Um, that'd be great. Okay, so we have okay Patreon. Let's talk about Patreon, and then we'll get to the music. Patreon, um, my subscribers on Patreon, um, are power this and all of my other work. This podcast, my, my YouTube videos are going to start coming out a little more frequently now. Um, my shows, I do shows that raise money and feed people when there's not a pandemic. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so if you would like to be a, a patron, you can go to patreon.com/slash Michael Heron and. 
Um, you also get bonus podcasts every week. So the new the bonus podcast this week will be an extended interview with Mr. Hip, and it's including him uh, reading one of the poems from his book. And um, it's great. So there you go, patreon.com slash michaelheron.com. And I say all of that with the understanding that the world <laughs> is kind of going to hell. And um, obviously, if you can't afford to do something like that right now, please just listen to this free podcast that'll stay up as long as I can pay for my <laughs> hosting, which is covered by Patreon. So that's great. All right, let's get to the music and the interview. Uh, this is a track from uh, Mr. Hip. It's called The Recipe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wee, wee. Sweet Don Petty, Montmartre Recording Studios. This the recipe. Yeah, yeah. This the recipe. This the recipe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this the recipe. Chefing up my specialty. Cook it up, 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 cook it up. This a recipe, plant base is a necessity. Hook it up, 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 hook it up. This the recipe, food the best therapy. Look it up, 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 look it up. This the recipe, peace signs and prosperity. Put it up, 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 put it up. This the recipe in the kitchen regularly. Cook it up, 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 cook it up. This the recipe, vegan is my destiny. Hook it up, 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 hook it up. This the recipe, live long and successfully. Look it up, 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 look it up. This the recipe, animals is a parody. Put it up, 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 put it up. Banana, ice cream in the blender. Turmeric, seasoned tofu, watch it simmer. Green juice in the morning, I'm a winner. Nope, dead animals. Nope. Killing is a sin. Watch me sauce it up in the iron casket. Pecan smoke, Satan ham. That's what's for dinner. Whatever you can eat, I can make it vegan. Ask me why I don't eat meat. Well, there's too many reasons. Damn, I love grapefruit, but they ain't in seasons. If the veggies ain't organic, then I'm screaming treason. Get my protein from the plants. I just hope that they believe me. Life is not a gamble. Need some recipe. Check out my YouTube channel. Yeah, yeah. This the recipe. Chefing up my specialty. This the recipe. Plant base is a necessity. This the recipe. Food the best therapy. This the recipe. Peace signs and prosperity. This the recipe. In the kitchen regularly. This the recipe. Vegan is my destiny. This the recipe, live long and successfully. This the recipe, eating animals is a parody. Cook it up, 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 cook it up. Hook it up, 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 hook it up. Look it up, 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 look it up. Put it up, 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 put it up. This the recipe. Yeah, yeah. vegan paradise joining me now on the podcast is donald vincent also known as mr hip it's like i think his third visit to the podcast you're you're a regular now thanks for being on the podcast again oh thanks for having me michael uh so we've talked about your music a lot and about your cooking show on youtube 
and um oh you were on my live show too like oh we've connected so many times and in person um we got to talk about your book though because this is your first book of poetry convenient amnesia um and it's coming it came out at a real interesting time for this to come out um talk to me the book is about you know my experience with our country's history in three parts uh, the first part focuses on the kind of socio and provides a little bit of socio-political commentary, while the second part explores this idea of um, uh, forgetting and relationships and how forgetting helps us kind of move on and cope. And then the third part really focuses on just this idea of, you know, the forgotten you know poets that came before me and kind of all of my uh, influences and muses all in one. And so just being able to enter into an artful conversation with uh, their texts or their paintings. Um, so this was a, a, this has been in a work, I want to say since about 2010, uh, when I entered grad school for poetry. Um, but, you know, it's exciting to have this finally out in the world. Yeah. Like, wait, what year did you say you started working on it? Uh, about 2010. Um, and, and it's kind of funny because the title convenient amnesia, like how we willingly forget. Uh, one of my good friends from grad school said that, you know, this title might sound timely, but it's been in the work for over a decade now, which is uh, very telling about the book. That's what's interesting about it being timely, right? Because it everything that is going on in our country and in the world about race has been in the works for a long time too, right? Yeah. And, you know, I, I feel like those type of relationships don't really change because people aren't aware, you know? And there's this idea, uh, I think it was one of the presidents, you know, had the idea of laissez-faire, you leave it alone and just let it be and kind of focus on what's going on at home. Um, and I think that that kind of behavior and that attitude has been, um, you know, replicated a lot, especially with racial interactions and racial relations in our country. I'm trying to practice making mistakes in these conversations, <laughs> if that makes sense. So yeah. I like being aware of my privilege and the privilege I've had to just let it be. You know what I mean? And like in this point in time, and like there have been little times before, well, not little times, big times before when this is when this conversation about race has started to come to a head, but I guess, I guess I'm just connecting with that idea of just letting it be is not something that everyone can do. Like being a black person, you can't let it because you're in this position of being affected at all times by our white supremacist society. Yeah. Like suddenly I'm going real deep in this. No, it's, I mean, it's quite okay. I, I enjoyed listening to, uh, you know, um, people talk about this, but it's one of those things where I just believe that in order for us to move on, it's not like a, you know, I hate referring to things in black and white, but it's not a black problem. It's something that white folks need to work on and not even just white folks, but all non-white folks. And, you know, it's okay to mess up. I think um, one of the things that I tell my students is, it's important to unlearn everything that you've been taught in order to rediscover and learn from a new perspective. You use your music to communicate about uh, about animal rights. That's kind of how I connected with it first. Um, and we both do work that like tries to change paradigms. Mm -hmm. Talk to talk to me about how how poetry and specifically your poetry can do that. 
I think that well-written poetry and not just poetry, I mean any type of art form as well. Uh, but I think art kind of transcends our like our human characteristics and it causes us to, you know, induce change and affect change. So when I look at my book now, you know, I'm looking at it as we uh, speak now, yeah. um, you know, the first couple of poems were my like interactions with other folks and you know one of the things that i've always learned is to not be defined by others but you need to define yourself and so how i define myself is how i navigate and explore myself through poetry um i do think that poetry has had an effect on me um growing up in washington dc um i, I talk about this a lot but i was you know kind of nurtured to be homophobic in a sense mm -hmm. you know like be a man be tough don't cry never show emotion that type of you know uh, is referred to today as toxic uh, masculinity um but it wasn't until i came across a poet uh, by the name of Kay ryan she dedicated all of her poetry to her partner so every book was to her partner carol and you know Kay ryan was a uh, homosexual and when i you know would read her work it would make me go love is love like it doesn't matter who it's between like love is love and i could feel the the love in her work and i could you know and it caused me to say you know the way i've been thinking and taught to think is wrong you know and to have that effect on poetry to actually meet her to tell her that and to hear her say you know this is why i write poetry you know i hope to kind of have the same effect with the work that i do that's cool like i never because i've just known you I, well, the past few years, I guess, um, <laughs> it's funny to think of you as, you know, having a, like a homophobic thread or that masculine or that toxic masculinity, because I know you to be entirely different <laughs> from that. And and I think that's the joys of art. You know how, you know, I think uh, Richard Blanco said art has gone with no politician has gone before. And, you know, I, I think more politicians need to look at art and read poetry and things of that nature. Um, but it's, I, you know, I, I grew up in one of the toughest places, you know, at the toughest times in Washington, D.C. And so, you know, it was it was kind of ingrained like it's 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 not cool and i think that my relationship with art my relationship with poetry my interactions with people outside of my community kind of helped me to see you know the world for what it is um and you know i don't think any of us is perfect and i think that all of the behaviors that we exhibit are learned behaviors like you learn to treat someone that way you learn to uh, look at something with a particular representation. And so to be able to, you know, have the cognitive function and just say, okay, uh, this is not right. People are people. People need to be treated as such. I think that that's, you know, it's a revelatory experience. I think everyone should have at least once. Otherwise, you're kind of stuck in this, you know, shell where change won't be able to happen. Yeah, I, it's cool to hear you talk about art that way. And... I get, I get it makes me kind of catch myself in you know I sort of assumed a goal with your book like I I was sort of like putting this belief on on your writing that the the intent was to change people or change perspectives but it sounds like maybe that's not the only thing or maybe that's not even a big part of it. like part of it is just a need to express yourself yeah yeah uh you know the need to express uh 
I think that when it comes to making folks change, I don't think that that's my job. You know, I, I think that really the poetry kind of in itself, and I, I appreciate hearing you uh, say that. I, I love when people talk about my work. I'm kind of <laughs> narcissistic that way. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I know that feeling too. It's not necessarily to make people change, but I think it's to present the information in a different format for people to say, wow, I never thought of it like that. Mm. And if they want to change, then it's on them. And if they don't want to change, then, you know, book two will maybe, you know, make that happen. I think that the primary goal is just the self-exploration, you know, the first poem, uh, Lucky Charm. I wrote that coming from D.C., Chocolate City, 97% African-American city at the time. And I went straight to Boston, which had 24% African-Americans. However, Boston's really segregated. And so it was hard to come by people that looked like me, uh, where I would work and where I lived in the city. And so to be able to walk in Whole Foods and just have people really just move out the way, you know, I'm like, wow, you know, blackness is powerful. Um, but then I also look at the TV and I'm like, blackness is also cool. You know, blackness is an economic, you know, <laughs> backbone, you know, how we spend money and things of that nature, which kind of influenced what I wrote. And in writing that and trying to explore the beauties and blackness and the beauties and the way I see myself, um, you know, it makes others self-aware and kind of, you know, engage with the text critically. So I guess, you know, the, the, primary vehicle um is writing and honestly writing for me for you know self-exploration just understanding myself understanding how i fit into the schema of the world uh, but also you know if folks do change i think that that's a, a great kind of that's it you know it's everything that i could ask for hmm. that the um uh, did you did you read lucky charm when you did the the live show with me i yep. can't yeah, I, I, I enjoy reading it because of the oral sounds, like what it sounds like. Um, but I think it's a whole different experience when you actually read it. <laughs> yeah. So I, I didn't ask you about this in advance. So feel free to say no and we can cut this part out. How do you feel about reading it now? Uh, that's perfectly fine. Um, OK, cool. I just didn't want to put you on the spot. No, nah, that's perfectly fine. Uh, lucky charm. I inherited the bop in my walk from my great great grandpa's lashings on the farm. So in Whole Foods, I divide owls, a modern Moses parting white seas. You've been warned by my charm. I crush worlds like Godzilla. False alarm, keep calm for I won't cause harm. People scramble to dodge me, the monster with the third arm. On trains, they sneak peeks. Look away and look again at my charm, which is like Uncle Tom, too uncool to take home to moms. So in cars, clubs, and in bathrooms, we get it on because of my charm. Hello, you remind me of a fellow by the name of Othello, and if loving you is right, I've been wrong all along, charm. To take me by the hand because you want to dance, charm. Others clear thoughts on elevators, then are you an entertainer? Questions swarm while quickly clutching their pocketbooks. I smile when they look and give them a buck for the hell of a charm. The once you've been charmed, you never go back, charm. Staying true to my native land, but love to slang the English language, charm. February 1st should be Give a Thug a Hug Day, Sippin' Hennessy and Remy Martin Charm, Prankster and Intelligent Gangster all in one. No 40 acres and a mule, but it's all good. I still think we should occupy the hood charm. Don't stop with the boogie down hip hop music in your McDonald's commercial charm. The militant yet guilty until proven innocent, so shh, be quiet. K 
can't snitch about my kind of charm. The ones who know won't tell, and the ones who will tell don't know. Can't look away from a soap. Can't look away from it like a soap opera. All my children raised themselves, charm. You knew about it, but forgot like last week's newspaper headline. I want to whistle whimsical feelings to white women. Emmett Till's charm. The charm that shines is the charm that blinds. Mm. I remember. I mean, I didn't remember all of it, obviously, but like now that like w- the the Whole Foods thing in the beginning, and like what you were talking about, the the blackness has power. That feeling of discovering that, yeah, it, it th- that first section is really striking to me because it kind of captures both of those things, right? Like because it talks about great grandpa's lashings, and you know you're the power of like parting the white seas in whole foods. Like, I think that's what strikes me about the poem. And, and I'm also having this moment of like, I don't know how to read poems. I'm going to do this wrong. So I'm trying to just push through anyway, but like, there's a lot of conflict, right? In this poem. Yeah. I I think there's a lot of conflict, but it it is balanced with a lot of history. I mean, I, we can walk through it if you want, but you know, like even those that opening, uh, do you have the book with you in front of you? Yeah, I've got it right here. Okay. Yeah. So the idea of the first stanza about walking, um, and this idea of that my colleague at Emerson, his name is Jabari Asim, he has a poem called The Strut. You know, this idea of just like the black man strut is kind of cool. You know, I walk a particular way. I, I see another person that looks like me and I'm like, he walks so cool. And, you know, everybody tries to imitate, you know, this walk. And it's just how I walk around. And there's a bop to it. And then there's this idea that I am also, you know, my ancestors, you know, so looking at how they were treated while they were working, you know, and enslaved it's you know, they were lashed, they were beat, but, you know, they still kept that humor with them. They still kept that greatness with them. They still kept up that work ethic, you know. So there's this idea that, you know, I am, uh, you know, uh, the birth of that, you know, from that defect that our country had with enslavement and this idea of, you know, I mentioned I crush worlds like Godzilla. Godzilla was created with the thought of like the big black kind of scary man. And I just came back from Portland, uh, Michael, and on the way up to Oregon, once we crossed over from California, it was parts of this uh, in California. But once we crossed over to Oregon, I saw a lot of big Godzilla kind of cutouts. And, you know, I talked to my partner and I said, hey, they definitely use those as target practice. And I see this black kind of Godzilla like uh, cut out and it's holding up a sign that says all lives matter. And I said, exactly. Um, mm-hmm. My friends in the car in front of me says, hey, we need to turn around. And I said, no, 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 no. We need to keep straight because I want to live. And so there's this idea that, you know, some of these images in my poems, while, you know, might be popular culture, make its way into like everyday life. And so I, I, I see these images uh, kind of make themselves available. And the portion about, you know, too uncool to take home to moms like you know uncle tom was you know they more so a house uh slave and this idea of you know i'm cool you know entertainment wise but you know i'm not cool enough to take home to meet someone's parents especially if they are non-black so you know we make love in cars and in clubs and in bathrooms because you know blackness is good enough and fetishized you know this idea of desire but there's no, I, there's no kind of 
reason to take them home and introduce them to your family. And so, you know, just covering the gamut of my experience, but also how my experience is collectively shared with other black people. I think that's what's really striking to me. And I think it's like my white perspective of that poem. You know, when I read those words, like about all of that kind of the the fetishization, I can't say the word, fetishization. Did I get it right? (laughs) It triggers all of my like white guilt about the situation. You know what I mean? It makes me like, oh, fuck, this is fucked up. And I have participated in this. You know what I mean? So I, I, I guess I'm just saying that just because I think that's a powerful thing that comes out of this because you're, you're sharing your perspective and you're not saying this is wrong or right. You're telling, you're, you're capturing for the reader what that might feel like. That's how it comes out to me. No, thank you. Uh, you know, I, I, I'll, when, whenever I hear white guilt, I always smile because I say white guilt is stronger than white supremacy. We just need more of it. <laughs> yeah. And then we need to like, and this is what white people's job is, is to be like, okay, so I feel guilty about this. What do I do instead of the default that I've done of being defensive and like, oh, I'm not like that or I'm not that kind of white person. Like it's it's redirecting, right? And like, okay, all right, white people, how are we going to figure this out? So yeah. anyway, but yeah, I, I just felt like I really wanted to throw that out just because I think that's what that that's what it hits me with a lot of your work. Oh, thank you, thank you. So people should P.S. grab a copy of the book. Um, I'll put links in the in the show notes for this episode where they can get it. But you want to throw out the best the best way for them to do that. Uh, so there are three ways, uh, you know, my favorite recommended ways. Uh, the first is to, you know, you can purchase through me. So you can visit my website, you know, visit the contact page or just reach out to me. Um, and that way I could send you like a, a signed copy. Uh, the second way would be to reach out directly to Broadstone Publishing or Broadstone Books. That is my publisher. Um, Larry is just a great person. Um, he worked so hard to get all of the pre-orders out um, and has told me that uh, I am officially his top selling poetry collection. So I'm kind of excited about that. Oh, um, so congrats. Just- Let's thank you. Thank you. Let's keep running those numbers up. Uh, <laughs> and then third, uh, I would say is through small press distribution. So SPD's website. Um, the only place I would say don't buy my book, uh, you know, as a last resort type of thing is Amazon. But other than that, um, I think, you know, those are the, the preferred three. Mm, Amazon. Uh, I've been uh, that's a whole separate topic. I think it's gonna, it would take up too much time for us to go into. But I'm like fully Amazon. I got Amazon Prime. I got um, the the assistant whose name I don't want to say because she'll start talking back to me. <laughs> um, but just especially recently, I've been really like, okay, it's kind of how I was feeling about eating animals right before I stopped when I was like, you know, this doesn't fit with what you believe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I- I think you got to embrace the tech, though. You know, like I, I have the prime, too. It's, you know, it's, it's a guilty pleasure because, mm-hmm. you know, with the pandemic and things like that, it's just uh, I don't want to even say it's a necessity at times, but it's it's, it's useful to have. Um, but, you know, I, I love the tech. I know this is a whole nother thing. Like we have all of the 
uh, lights in the house to kind of, you know, uh, activate it by the phone. So when we walk in or come home, they just magically turn on. It's been so useful. So, I, But I know that's not she who shall not be named. <laughs> it's just, a, you know, I, I, I embrace the tech, but it's also, it's kind of weird. You know, I'm, I'm actually, I think for the month of August, going to take a year break from social media. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah. I love like and just the fact that I have such a strong reaction to that <laughs> indicates that maybe that's something I could consider too. That I'm like, oh my god, no, you could, you mustn't. Yeah, I, you know, sometimes social media is a group, uh, group think tank, and I think that you know, creative. I think it's nice for every creative to kind of just dial out for a few, focus on that craft, focus on what makes them them. I'll miss out on, a, you know, news things, but nothing truly newsworthy going on that I wouldn't be able to find out. Um, and I think I'll miss out. I used to look at social media as inspiration, but I think now it's it's kind of a creativity blocker. And so I think, you know, it's time. Facebook is going to be first uh, and then Instagram and then I'll dial back on the Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. Fair. I'll be interested to see what happens. <laughs> I'm like, but how will I know what's happening? Oh, that's right. I, I think I have your your actual phone number, so yeah. maybe that'll be the thing to do. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Um. I want to switch gears a little bit. Um. Okay. You sent out an email right as shit started to like tank with the pandemic. Um. And I actually emailed you right after that, and then I just got buried in, you know, trying to cope. Yep. Um, but you sent out a great email about pandemic planning and caring for yourself. Um, I thought it'd be cool to talk about that a little bit for people who are, you know, we're like, that was back March, uh, March 19th. I think you, March 16th is when you sent that out. And that was like, right. when I like, there was a week or two when I was just like shell shocked and like crying half the time and like zoned out the rest of the time, like trying to figure out like, wait, what is going on? Um, so things have changed a lot since then, but I think things are going to probably keep changing. So I'd love to know if, um, well, yeah, like you have a background in emergency management, which I had no idea about. What, what is that? Yeah. So, um, after college, I, I got my first job working with, uh, the federal emergency management agency, FEMA, um, which is a part of the DHS department of Homeland security, all those acronyms. Mm. Um, so if uh, you speak of the acronyms, the first day on the job, they give you a book filled with all of the acronyms that they use and actually to learn them, which is interesting. Um, but when I graduated from college, I got a job in DC, you know, my, uh, home city. And I worked with them and helped them develop plans on how to manage 15,000 federal employees during another catastrophic event such as Katrina. Um, because what you know the thing with Katrina is you have employees from different federal organizations um, down in Louisiana to assist. However, they can't do it because there's no like people don't know where folks are at. And so what my position was is that I created this liaison position that would be in the disaster sites and uh, also report back to folks at their uh, home organizations. And then, you know, DHS would, you know, filter the information to the respective agencies in order to coordinate people. And so there was this idea that, you know, when I was leaving, the my boss at the time says, you know, why do you think you're good for this job? And I said, my friends tell me I always think of the worst possible scenarios. And so there's this idea that I would always have a 
a future in you know this you know planning for events like this or you know preparing for events like this and when i went to boston for grad school um, i was transferred to the fema region one which over that works with the six new england states and so while there um, i had the opportunity to work on disasters such as hurricane irene hurricane sandy um, a lot of winter uh, storms occur in the six new england states so just making sure that people are prepared i primarily worked with this student program called step is a student tools for emergency planning and so what we would do with this program is, you know, work with auxiliary teachers, work with, you know, teachers in the actual schools and uh, go into schools with uh, free backpacks that has starter emergency kits and would talk to kids about preparing for disasters or do they know what would happen if there was an emergency in their house? And, you know, they would then go home and start that conversation with their parents and then parents would begin to prepare. Um, and so I, I worked for, you know, the emergency preparedness division for about several seven years actually seven years and six months um and it was a very enlightening uh job uh, i got to travel the country um i got to meet a lot of you know emergency management professionals um i had the opportunity to speak on a panel for generations uh different generations of emergency managers because you have people who are used to you know like those old school first responders military veteran folks uh, who are more on the grounds but now you're kind of getting the people who have the educational background and who are looking at it from you know computer systems perspectives um entering this uh field of emergency management so how do you merge the two and how do you have like a even discord uh discourse uh with the two um but i enjoyed it um you know it was a different kind of environment a work experience you know with people that didn't look like me and didn't have the same kind of beliefs as me but i think overall um it helped me with my project management skills and also just i was able to you know i saved lives essentially you know i would get um letters from children who said, hey, you know, our apartment had a fire and we used the emergency plan that we worked after talking with you. And so, you know, being able to have change on that level um, really was just a, a guiding light for uh, this job. Wow. I, that's so funny. I had no idea about any of that part of your, your history. I've, yeah. I, I'm like an emergent fellows with the Center for Homeland Defense and Security. Um, so, you know, I got to go with a cohort of 30 other people um, in the field. Uh, I've done continuity and operations planning. Um, so I have a, a high kind of certification in that. Um, it's, it's weird, you know, talking about this because I, I usually don't, but it's, you know, it's nice as well. Um, but that was, you know, my first kind of job and really just throwing myself into that. And, you know, people ask me how I did that. And I have a background in writing and communication and being able to use that, create programs, create uh, press releases, talk to legislators in New England about different ordinances that we would have is just something that will always stay with me. Mm. And then it, it enabled you to, to like when this, when the COVID thing started really like landing, it, well, I, I, how was like, did you feel like, okay, I got this. Like, I know how to handle this type of situation. Did you feel pretty? I, you know, I was one of the people, I didn't think that it was going to affect the population that it did. And so, uh, I think when it did, part of it was, okay, you know, like, 
I went back into this whole idea of, you know, just planning. I'm like, we need to make sure, like, you know, we have radios in case things don't go down. I, I really don't like talking about, like, zombie into the world type things. But when you think of Walking Dead, like, this is essentially, like, I, I watch it because of the kind of emergency management aspect. How do people live and how do people operate? Um, so I just made sure we had our necessities, you know, especially moving into a new place uh, with my partner. But also just... You need to make sure you're getting the right information. We know that all news has a particular slant these days. So just making sure you get accurate information and timely information. And because there's so much information and so much new uh, information behind what's going on, uh, it's so much to take in and you just have to kind of focus and bring it back and really focus on numero uno. And that's yourself and really make sure that you are mentally okay, you are physically okay, and you are kind of safe from harm. And I think once you're able to, you know, take into this, take into account your particular, like, personal feelings and how you can navigate this, I think that that's first and foremost. Uh, because, you know, I, I joke, and it's kind of partly not funny, but I say COVID is also a mindset as well, looking at the many people who don't want to wear masks, for instance, you know? And so just making sure that you're safe and you're taking the necessary precautions and have, you know, factual access to factual information is very important. Yeah. One of the things that you said in that email that really still jumps out at me is um, wait to watch the news. And, and part of that little segment, you said, choose a time on a six hour interval for if you're not the anxious type and only watch the news then. That's so, so good. Like that was one of the things that was really getting me in the beginning. I was constantly like, you know, like, and especially with this situation where no one really knew what about the virus like we know more now but we still don't know everything and there's still a lot being uncovered so it seemed like the news was changing but it was just that they were learning more but like trying to stay on top of them like oh my god now we have to do this and now oh no it's airborne no it's not wash your groceries when you get like all that kind of crazy stuff was happening um it would have done me some good to be like okay here's the information i got for today oh, let me go about my business so yeah <laughs> Exactly. Like if something breaking happens when they find a cure, you'll know, you know, like you'll get tags like you'll know. But, you know, I, I call my grandma and, you know, just to, you know, kick it with her. And I'm like, hey, grandma. And she's like, oh, I'm watching the news. It's getting bad. And it's like every like that's all she does is just have the news on with whatever she's doing. I don't I think she even stopped watching soap operas, you know. And so it's one of those things where I, I'm like, grandma, you're going to get sick or it's just going to take its toll on you if you don't you know log off or just you know put a time out on it yeah it's it's interesting my boyfriend and i like in the beginning were like at kind of opposite extremes about it like i was telling him like okay like you're freaking out. Like, it's not going to be that big a deal. Like, he was like, what if they shut down the subway? How are we going to see each other? Am I going to be able to leave the city? What if I want to go see my mom? And I was like, well, every, you know, that's not going to happen. You know, but some of it did. And as that stuff started happening, I started freaking out. And he had to be like, okay, like, yeah. this is what the, rea you know, like, it, that that's a big part of this type of situation that I don't think I anticipated. <laughs> that, that You know, like, being in an unprecedented time like this, you don't know how, what, what your emotional state is going to be and what to watch out for and how to take care of yourself. Aside from like these, it actually reminds me a lot of like when I was early in recovery, uh -huh. um, when like they would tell you like, okay, 
are you hungry? Are you angry? Are you lonely? Are you tired? Like, can you fix any of these things right now? Okay, cool. Go do that. And then we'll talk about this other thing you're freaking out about. (laughs) And, you know, like it almost, they get those like basic needs settled. And then like, it kind of grounds you and makes you realize like, okay, so I'm not going to die right now. Like I'm probably not going to die tomorrow either. (laughs) Things are probably good or okay. Yeah. Is it, is it okay if I put the text of this email in the blog post for um, fine as well. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, that'll be good, I think, for people to read because there's so much good information. You might, you might have to save that premium content for the, uh, the the Patreon folks. Oh, yeah. Speaking of Patreon, we should probably wrap this conversation up and start our um, our bonus convo. And um, <laughs> I feel bad. I feel bad putting like COVID information behind a paywall. But maybe maybe I'll just I'll tease it. <laughs> uh thanks for being on the podcast um real quick what's the best website for you to, to check out uh, your to find you the best website and the, the 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 future hub of everything is at hidonaldvincent.com that's h-i as if i am waving to you my first name last name.com hidonaldvincent.com uh Thank you so much for being on the podcast again. And uh, if you're a patron, be sure to check in on Wednesday to hear even more conversation with me and Donald. Thanks for having me, Michael. And I hope your viewers or your listeners also have a wonderful experience with this. Yeah. Watching the whiz beat up on the pelicans in New Orleans And I ain't even from here but I blend in like chickpeas in the hummus My stomach don't grumble but it might just growl Your swag out of style, haters screaming foul I just smile while the money pile And hoes gyrate eating the baked vegan cheesecake Like every day my birthday, give her the D She wanted in the worst way, dig deep with the strokes Choke her so she can't breathe but I can't catch a case Sort of like an STD, she want that old thing back Rest in peace Craig Mack this that new flavor in your ear Don't matter the calendar, this is still my year Independent so I don't need a deal Call me 
David when you're shorty round I might cop a feel then disappear I run cadaver the beat this an easy kill used to rap for the hoes now just do it for the thrills cool it in the AC got your bitches catching chills I'm the realest and they looking for the real a nigga with the Catholic school I still clap a fool outlandish booth pragmatic smooth Instagram cool grammar proof you know what I do you know what I do a uh, yeah yeah From the EP, Who is Mr. Hip? That was Old School Hip from Mr. Hip, also known as Donald Vincent, our guest today. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. If you want to hear some more from me and Donald, you can check out Patreon, patreon.com slash Michael Heron. There's tons of bonus episodes there, lots of other bonus content with my music and videos and all that different kind of stuff. Or you can always just subscribe here. You know, I was thinking, tell a friend. If you like this podcast, um, you could... One of the biggest things you could do is just tell somebody else that you uh, like it and tell them how to listen to it. Um, Other than that, thanks for listening. And um, I'll see you next week. I have another interview lined up for this week. So I'm feeling like some momentum with this and all my other work. So that's very exciting. Um, Yeah, that's it. All right. Thanks for listening. And I'll talk to you next time.